Hello, good morning, and welcome to episode 98 of Life Song Radio. Hey, I'm Jimmy Hicks. I'm your host, and I thank you for being here and joining me this week. Normally flanked by Phil Ramsey. He is absent this week, and the reason that he's absent is he's out playing on the lake where he was last week, and as a matter of fact, I think he is back in town, and uh, he spent a part of uh, the week last week uh, over the 4th of July holiday at the lake, and then come back, and then spent some more time in Mississippi. So it just wasn't a good week for us to get together, to, to hook up, to record, and, and so you got me by myself this week. Uh, and what we're going to do this week is uh, I decided that we were not going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. We were going to postpone that and we'll pick that back up next week when Phil's back with us. And, and the reason that I decided to do that, uh, just simply because uh, the next couple of texts, the next couple of verses that we come up on uh, in, in in this book is, uh, is they're, they're real heavy. And uh, they, in my opinion, Phil might differ you might differ, some other folks might differ, but really, in my opinion, these are some uh, some of the biggest, if not the biggest, texts throughout this entire book. Uh, and the reason why is it really gives some information, some 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 beneath the surface information uh, on the Apostle Paul and uh, in his ministry, and some things that we might not have ever looked at, we might not have ever known. And and so I'd like I know Phil has really deeply studied these texts, as I, as have I, and and so I'd like him to be here and to be a part of it as we as we go through and we cover and uncover uh, the truths of these uh, couple of verses, these next couple of verses that we're coming up on. So uh, this week, what we're going to do is forego our study in Galatians. And, and what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to play for you uh, a sermon that I preached recently at uh, Crossway Baptist uh, here just a couple of weeks back. And and the reason that I'm, I'm going to play this sermon is I've gotten a lot of feedback from it. I'd like to share it with you. Hopefully, it will benefit some of you out there listening, some of the married folks uh, for the most part. Uh, what we've uh, been doing, what we recently just wrapped up at Crossway was a series titled Love Songs, God's Greatest Hits on Love, Dating, Marriage, Sex, and Romance. And as we're wrapping it up, uh, this is uh, the ninth sermon in this series. And uh, we're covering Songs of Solomon chapter 7 through this, uh, through this sermon. And uh, what we see uh, in, these, in this chapter is uh, Solomon and his bride Shulamite had now entered uh, to, uh, to the later years of their marriage. Uh, they've been married uh, quite a number of years at this point. And, and we see a common theme that happens in a lot of, if not most all marriages, and that's life gets in the way romance begins to take a back seat to life, to kids, to jobs, to responsibilities. And uh, we experience it. I've experienced it in my marriage, and I know most all of you have experienced it as well. And so what happens is there are things, there are obstacles that get in the way of romance between a husband and a wife, all right? And and, and we just call that life. But, but you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so what I'm going to do uh, for the first part of the sermon is we're going to look at three of these obstacles that tend to get in the way of our marriages. And then uh, what, what do we do to remedy that? What do you do to try to fix that and return to the way things were in the first part of the marriage? Well, we'll take you to Revelations chapter 2. 
and look at uh, the church in Ephesus uh, who, who left their first love. And we'll look at the words of Jesus as he tells the church in Ephesus what they have to do since they've left their first love is to remember, to repent, and to return. And through that example, we can apply it to our marriages to hopefully restore the romance in our marriages. Uh, and so uh, I want you to really take some, uh, if you have the opportunity to sit down and take some notes uh, if you are listening to this on the radio, uh, uh, go back and listen to lifesongradio.com a little bit later on in the day. It will be posted. And uh, when you have some quiet time to really sit down and make some notes out of this sermon, because I promise you, it's not because I wrote it or preached it, but it's really because that I really think some of these principles can help a lot of us in our marriages. These principles here that are covered in this sermon have, have begun to help me in my marriage as I've applied them to my very own marriage. And so I'm really confident that they can help you if you've experienced a loss of romance in your marriage. So please uh, take some notes and begin to think about how you can apply these things to your daily life. Okay, so so what we're going to do right now is take a break and we'll be back. And when we come back, it'll be the sermon titled Logs on the Fire. It's uh, from our series uh, on the Songs of Solomon of Crossway Baptist God, Love Songs, God's Greatest Hits on Love, Dating, Marriage, Sex, and Romance. So we'll have that when we return right here on Life Song Radio. Stay with us. Stand in the morning, and who told the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till
relationship with Jesus changes everything. Life Song Radio. All right, so good morning. How's everybody? I didn't intend to uh, to share that, but I just felt uh, really touched during that uh, worship service. So. This morning, we're back uh, to, the, to the Song of Solomon. Um, had a couple of weeks off in that series, and we're going to return to that study. Uh, and, the, and the title of Love Songs, God's Greatest Hits on Love, Dating, Marriage, Sex, and Romance. So if you will, go ahead and open your Bibles to the Song of Solomon 7. Uh, and as you're turning, I want to share with you a story uh, that I read while I was preparing for this message. And... Um, the story was pretty unique. Uh, so it says a farmer was sitting on his porch, his front porch, and uh, a stranger walked by. And the stranger came by. He saw the farmer sitting up there, asked him how he's doing. And the farmer said, I'm great. You know, I couldn't be better. He said, uh, as a matter of fact, two weeks ago, a tornado came through the area. It came through the area, and it, uh, it knocked down all the trees. But uh, those just happened to be trees that I was going to have to cut down and uh, for firewood this winter. So uh, that tornado took care of that for me. He said, and if you can believe it, uh, lightning struck a bush just last week. Lightning struck this bush over here, uh, in this brush pile rather, uh, and I was planning on burning that brush pile to clear off the field for planting. And so it took care of that for me too. And the stranger said, well, that's crazy, farmer. He said, uh, that's really remarkable. He said, so what are you doing now? He said, well, I'm sitting up here on the front porch just waiting for an earthquake to come along to, to, uh, to shake my potatoes out of the ground. <laughs> And so, as I read that, it just kind of hit me. Isn't that how we think about marriage? I mean, really, God, he, he does some unbelievable and remarkable things through our marriages, all the while we're sitting around waiting on him to do more. And so, uh, Tommy Nelson, I don't know if you, uh, any of you are familiar with uh, his study on the Song of Solomon. He's got a couple. Yeah, they're really, really good. I recommend you that you find them in, in your spare time. But uh, he says we, we have four major issues in our marriages and uh, he calls them the four horsemen, and he takes them out of context of Revelation. The four horsemen in Revelation. And the first is sin, the second is age, the third is for forget forgetfulness, and the fourth is uh, laziness. And uh, we deal somewhat with all these issues throughout the course of our marriages and our courtships, but after a few years they, they, tend, they intensify, they uh, tend to get worse. Um, one man said it this way, he said uh, the first year of our marriage, uh, in the first year of your marriage, your wife gets a cold, and many of you probably heard this uh, illustration before, but your wife gets a cold the first year of your marriage, and, and uh, the husband, he runs to uh, the pharmacy, and he buys up every medicine at the pharmacy, and he comes home, and he, he waits on her hand and foot. And by the third year, she gets a cold, and uh, and in the third year of marriage, and the husband says, well, honey, uh, nicest way possible, could you, uh, you mind covering your mouth when you cough, honey? And uh, by the fifth year of marriage, the wife is, uh, gets a cold, and she's coughing, and uh, and the husband says, hey, pipe down, I can't hear the TV. And you're over there barking like a seal. So anyway, the point is, that's the way our marriages can get uh, if, if, we, if we let them get that way. And so through our study in this series, we've seen the right way to attract, we've seen the right way to court, the right way to fight. That was our last uh, message that the pastor brought to us. And today we're going to look at the right way to deepen your marriage and to keep uh, romance alive in your marriage because what happens is we tend to uh, we tend to get away so the title is logs on the fire and so if you're there in the song of solomon chapter seven we'll begin reading go ahead and stand with me as we honor the reading of god's uh, perfect word song of solomon chapter seven says how beautiful are your feet 
in sandals, O prince's daughter. The curves of your hips are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like the round goblet which never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat fenced about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathraben. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which faces toward Damascus. Your head crowns like car- caramel, and the flowing locks of your head are purple or like purple threads. The king is captivated by your tresses. How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love, with all your charms. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I said I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters on the vine, and the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your, bre- and your mouth like be- the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who fall asleep. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go out of the country. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us rise early and go to the vineyards. Let us see whether the vine has budded and its blossoms have opened, and whether the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes have given forth fragrance. And over our doors are, are all choice fruits, both new and old which I have saved up for you, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for this day. God, we thank you for... We thank you for that. Thank you for a church with a sound system, Lord God. But Father, most of all, we thank you for... I thank you for the ability to stand up here and proclaim your perfect and holy word. Lord God, I thank you for everyone here who've come with open hearts to, to allow your, your word to minister to them and to their marriages. And Father, I pray through this study today, through this word, that, that marriages are mended, marriages are, are deepened, relationships are deepened. And so, Father, that's what we pray here today. Lord of God, I just pray to you now by giving you all the honor, all the glory. It's in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. So if we're past all that. Before we look at how to, uh, to keep or maintain or restore the romance in our marriages, I want to take some time to explore how we let them get to that point in the first place. So what we see in our text is a theme of rekindling romance. Now, if you remember the last sermon uh, the pastor preached, uh, he talked about fighting fair. And uh, Solomon and Shulamite had a disagreement, and they were actually, it was actually a period of time where they were apart before uh, we, we saw them come back together here. Um, and also this text uh, is a pretty explicit description of sex. And, and that's not what I'm going to focus on today, mainly because it makes me feel uncomfortable. But uh, no, I'm playing. Rather, I want to actually look at the, the theme of, of this, and I want to look at the order of events taking place in this text. And so what I want you to see is if you notice here, Solomon began at her feet, and he progressed to her head, if you notice that. Now, why is that significant? By now, they've been married for a while, right? They've grown older together, and the sequence sequence of this intercourse is the exact opposite of what took place on their honeymoon. We saw back in everybody's favorite chapter, chapter 4, that Solomon started at her head, and he progressed to her feet. Now, why is that a big deal? Why is that significant in terms of romance and intimacy in your marriage? Well, think about it. How much romance, how much admiration 
how much attention is needed in terms of sex when the guy starts things at his wife's feet and he proceeds. I mean, you're going to get paid her pretty quick, right? So, um, beginning at the head and, uh, and, and looking into to your wife's eyes and, and spend, spending time in that intimacy, uh, that takes time, that takes attention, that takes romance, right? And so as we grow older, the time spent on romance and attention lessens and lessens. And the biggest factor that I believe is, is overcommitment. And we're going to look at three things here that, uh, that take that romance and, and, and make it begin to, to lessen and lessen in our lives. The first one is overcommitment or, or physical exhaustion. We're just frankly too busy in our lives. Uh, we're, we're way busier than God ever intended us to be. Especially true if you've got kids. And I, and I know you, some of your parents can attest to that. Uh, our kids are involved in absolutely everything. Uh, dance, gymnastics, baseball, basketball, football, swimming, soccer, whatever it is, our, our kids are involved in it, everything. And, and for one, we, we want them to be. We want them to be involved in these things, but, uh, and, and they want to be for the most part. We, you know, we think it builds character. It teaches them teamwork and sportsmanship, leadership, all that good stuff. And it does, it does, it does have its benefits there. And, 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 and listen, I don't want you to think that it's wrong for, for our kids and we don't want our kids to be involved in those things. There's nothing wrong with it. But when it does, when it becomes an issue when parents are getting home at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night for the first time that day. It becomes an issue because they've been to multiple practices and games. You know, they rush in, they get the kids bathed, they, they get them fed, they get them in bed, uh, wash clothes, most likely uniforms for the next day, uh, and they just pass out exhausted in the bed. When that becomes your life, there's, like I said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Uh, and your, your children being involved in extracurricular activities like this, but when it rules your life, when it's made it us busier than God's ever intended for us to be, then it becomes a problem. And that's what's going on with most parents. I mean, my, we, we've been like that. Our, our, our kids have been like that. Uh, all of us, I think, have been guilty of that. And same can be said, the same exact thing can be said of, of parents who work multiple jobs or work longer hours. Now, I understand the need to make ends meet, but what we tend to do is we tend to, to, to work to make more money so we, can, so we can pay for things that we never really have the time to enjoy anyway because we're working. So we see a, a very clear picture of this painted in Luke chapter 10. If you will, turn to, to Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 38. So now as, the, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Rest. Rest. That's what God wants for our lives, resting in Him. Resting in His Word. And this is something we've got to be teaching our kids too. 
being busy isn't always being happy. Truth be told, likely the really the, the busier we are in a busy family, at least probably one member of that busy family is miserable. And they just want to spend time at home resting with their family, being still. You know, couples have less time together as couples now. So the second thing I want us to see um, that affects our marriages is money. That's the second thing that affects the romance in our marriages. Finance is usually the biggest cause of marital issues uh, and likely the leading cause of divorce in the country. Now, I, I looked this up, and, and they say the leading cause of divorce is irreconcilable differences, but uh, I bet you money is, is probably one of those differences that can't be reconciled uh, between two people. Uh, there are a ton of problems that money can cause, a, a bunch of them, a ton of them, but I think the biggest one that, that we need to really look at and focus on is, is the husband and wife not being in agreement together with their finances. One spends too much, or the other one hides and hoards and stashes away. Um, I heard a wise man say this one time. He said, you show me a, um, a person who is dishonest and unfaithful with his money, and I'll show you a person that's dishonest and unfaithful in his marriage. The writer of Hebrews said something pretty interesting. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Starting in verse 4. He wrote, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let mar the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. There's no coincidence that those two verses are connected. So, married folks, listen to me. We're soon to be married folks. When two people aren't in agreement and how your finances will be spent, there's always going to be discourse in the relationship. Somebody's always going to be resentful. So you've got to get it together. You two aren't two separate enterprises. You're not two separate businesses. You're one. Everything you have is one, right? And don't be amening and nudging the person next to you. I know some of you have this argument, and I, you know, I've been there before early, early on in our marriage. Um, so, you know, some of you are terrible with money and, and so your spouse controls the finances and gives you an allowance and you don't like it. See, you got to be in agreement, which means you need to agree that you're terrible with money. If you're the spouse that's terrible with money and your spouse isn't, and then you need to start to like it. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a prime example of it. I'm terrible with money, or at least early on in, in our marriage I was. When I was younger, my wife, exact opposite. This woman will deposit change in the bank. I'm telling you. And you ask her about it, she says, it all adds up. And it does. She's great with money. It, and that's why my checks just get handed over to her. Uh, it, it really, truly, if you held a gun to my head and, and I had to answer a question about our finances, you might as well just go ahead and shoot me because I couldn't. And I might have some fault in that by not knowing certain things. But one thing I do know for sure is the fact that we don't fight about money ever. Ever. We are in agreement that I'm terrible with it, and she's not. And so she handles it. And so the last thing I want us to look at is one of the things uh, that I mentioned early on uh, about Tommy Nelson and his study, one of the things that he pointed out, laziness or contentment. Sometimes we don't even see that coming. Recognizing when laziness has crept in isn't really as always as easy as it should be. That's even more true when you and your spouse get into uh, a daily routine. 
Um, think of it like this. You ever drive to work in the mornings or whenever you work, you ever drive to work and you get there and you don't, you get out of your car to, to go into work and it hits you. You don't even realize the events that's taking place that got you to work. That makes sense? You get there and you think, how did I get here? You know, I don't even remember getting here. That's one of the signs that routine has shown up in our lives. We put things on autopilot and we let our subconscious do the driving. Uh, that's a pretty good description of what happens in our marriages when they hit the comfort zone. We put them on autopilot and the reality is when, our relation, when relationship routine sets in, if it gets left unchecked, it can lead to the slow death of even the greatest relationships. Now, don't misunderstand, I, I get it that um, some routine is necessary in our lives. I mean, you got to take care of the kids, you got to work. So some routines are, are necessary in our marriages. But the truth is, it's how we handle those day in, day out routines um, that, that make all the difference. We don't have to let everything that we do on a daily basis necessarily be boring. And hear what I'm saying here. Marriage routine and boredom is the leading catalyst that lure people into affairs. Because when those affairs come in, it's something new, it's something exciting, and it can lead people astray. You, gotta, you can't let just the routine and the boredom take over your lives. There's three things that, uh, that are big driving factors. Those three things are big driving factors in our, uh, in our relationships that, that, that take the romance and put it on the back burner. But there are some things that we can look at that can rekindle the romance in our marriages. And so what can we do to rekindle it? I want to consider the words of Jesus um, to do this. So if you will, turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, lampstands say this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men, and you can... And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured, and endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds that you did at first, or, I, or else I am can, are coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Now, in context, John's writing... Uh, the Apostle John's writing the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus. But the spirit of what's being said here is a formula that we can use to respark romance back into our marriages. All right. So look what he says in verse 4. He says, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Well, isn't that what happens to us? Isn't that what happens through the course of life taking over? Our kids being involved in every activity known to man our disagreements with money and finances, and just our general routines take, of life taking over, we overwhelm, we, or we unknowingly leave our first loves, which is our spouses. So when I, when I say leave our first loves, I mean in the sense that we forget what brought us together in the first place. We were couples in love before the business, busyness of life took over. We couldn't spend enough time with each other before the kids came along before careers took prominence in our lives, before we got comfortable, we were always making efforts to be together. But we've left our first love and allowed the world and have allowed the world to take over our marriages. 
So how do we go about fixing it? How do we go about rekindling it? Well, Jesus tells us here in the very next verse, he says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. So the first thing is remember. Remember what those days were like before life took over. You remember the first time you saw each other. You remember the butterflies that you had. You remember when you stayed up all night long talking to each other, wanting to know everything you you could about that person. You remember the first date that you had, the first time you held hands, the first time you kissed, the first time you said, I love you. You remember when you first met each other's parents, how nervous you were. Remember those things. It's so important that we never forget those things. As a matter of fact, when I remember those things, when I reminisce about those times in, in the relationship with my wife, I remember how lucky I am to have ever convinced her to marry me in the first place. Um, but really, it, it's something, there's really something special about a shared history. It binds you two together forever. And so, Buffy likes to give you homework, so here's some homework for you. Remember your relationships from the beginning. Remember what those ta- times are like together. Talk it through. Spend time talking about it together. Remember that before you were parents, before you were employees or even employers in some cases, before you were the head of a household or the one who controls the finances, you were a couple together. You were two people who loved spending time together. And remember what those days were like. The second thing that Jesus said to the church that he'd say to us about keeping romance alive is to repent. Change the way you think and act. Repent and repent of your own stuff. Your own stuff. See, so many of us are trying to change the other person. Reminds me of the uh, young fiance who uh, she learned that her uh, she learned that her uh, husband to be didn't believe like she did. So she runs to her mother. She said, "Mom, what should I do? How can I change his thinking?" He says he doesn't believe in hell. So the mother said, well, honey, that's all right. You go ahead and you marry him, and both of us will make him believe in hell. That was funnier than y'all. And y'all reacted. Some of y'all have mother-in-laws. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, we like to point fingers at each other. We say, if only they would change. Really, truth be told, uh, some of you are probably sitting here or have sat here in the past through this study saying, man, say something that will get his attention. Say something that will get under her skin. But listen, growing marriages are made up of two growing people. A relationship is only as good as two individuals that make it up. And nothing in a relationship helps more than when you shine the spotlight on your own stuff. Your own flaws, your own weaknesses, your own baggage, your own issues. See, as you understand what makes yourself tick, and you understand why you tick, and you begin to resolve the, your, the, the issues in your own life, then your capacity to love, your capacity to forgive, to be honest, to solve problems, that all begins to grow. Because starting with yourself is the best thing you can do for any relationship because you come become more interested in bringing a better person to the relationship yourself. So even if your spouse isn't dealing with themselves, your own example of you dealing with your own stuff oftentimes will spur them on. Health breeds health, right? So what you do individually really matters in the relationship. And the third thing that Jesus said was to return to the things you did in the beginning. 
Return to the basics. When you two first got married, or even when you started dating, you did everything to keep each other's attention. You were creative in coming up with ways to go date. You, you looked forward to spending time together. You had no problems making time to be together. Guys, the number one complaint from wives is their husbands don't talk to them or they don't seem interested in them. Well, there was a, guy, there was a time when you hung on every word that came out of her mouth. You gotta get back to that. Gotta get back to that. Women, the number one complaint from husbands is you aren't interested in the things that he cares about. There was a time where you fake caring about it, at least. You fake caring about football or, or whatever just because you saw that he loved it. You wanted him to think that you loved it too. Well, get back to fake caring about it or at least showing him that you care about the things that he cares about. Do the things you did at first and realize that those are the things that make you fall in love with each other to begin with. All right, so as we wrap this up, I want to I wanna give you some practical things that you can add to your marriage. Um, some things that you can do to, to, to hopefully rekindle and respark the romance. And write these things down, I promise you. If you write these things down and try and attempt to apply them to your marriage, you'll start to notice how the dynamics begin to change. The first thing is this, is every day say I love you. Every day. When couples, when you first get together, you first come together, you first fall in love, first get married, it's easy to tell the other person that you love them. You know, some people it starts to fade away over time. But most of the time it's easy, even, even after you've been married for a while. But listen, there's going to be days where it's not easy to love your husband. There's going to be days it's not easy to love your wife. Those are the days you've got to tell them. Those are the days you need to make yourself tell them and, and really mean it. All right, so that's the first thing. Every day, say, say I love you. The second thing is every day, talk and listen to each other. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I am the world's number one worst at that. I have honestly damaged my marriage because of that. My wife to this day, and she'll tell you, she's in the nursery now, but she will tell you if you ask her, there are things that she's uncomfortable talking to me about because of my anger in the past. It's a something that we're working on fixing, right? So really, and when we first come together, when we first come to love each other, normally we feel safe to talk to each other. We still feel safe to share things because we really truly care about what the other person thinks. And unfortunately, many times people quit creating that safe or that sense of safeness to share, which is what I've, I've done in the past. And so you got to try every day to create a safe place to talk and to listen to each other. That's my number one regret in my marriage. And it's something we still struggle with, like I said, to this day. So that's the second thing is, is to every day talk and listen to each other. The third thing is every day do something nice, something kind for each other. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. I heard some good advice given to somebody recently that just got married. This guy told the guy that was getting married, his friend, he said, listen, he said, you need to make it a goal every day to outserve your wife. Make it a goal every day to outserve your wife. That's good advice when you apply it to, your, to yourself, right? Don't do it because 
you want to hold a scorecard over her or you want to hold a scorecard over him saying, look what I did. I did more for you than you did for me today. Uh-uh, it's not about that. You try to outserve each other every day for no other reason than the fact that you love them and you want to make them happy. All right, and the, third, the last thing is, is every day have the lo- love of God at the center of your marriage. Allow Christ to always be the center of your lives and through His grace and love, you'll be able to remain strong for each other. We've talked about this before. Pastors, I know, mentioned it uh, here and, and in other settings. I've talked about it, but there, there, are, uh, there are different kinds of love in the Bible. And I believe every one of them are required for a strong and healthy marriage. There are three types of love mentioned in the New Testament. And we know the English language only has one uh, word for love. Same words used to describe everything we love from pizza to to our love for Jesus. But really the New Testament, written in Greek, the Greek language, it uses three different words for love. They are eros, phileo, and agape. And meaning physical love, emotional love, and spiritual love. And every good marriage, every strong marriage needs all three. All right? Eros is a romantic or erotic love. But really it's more than just the actual act of, of sex. It's, it's, it's what gets the heart pounding when we see the other person after time apart. It's, it's vital and it's important among the three loves. The phileo is the, uh, is the second love. Um, it's a friendly love. It's, it's motivated by having common interests and goals that you share with the other person. It, it's what's meant when the, when the husband and the wife say they like each other or they're best friends. It's the feeling that you don't care what you're doing as long as you're doing it with the, with the person that's with, the, with that person it's bothering y'all as much as it is me you really enjoy each other's company out of that love and the, and the last love agape it's self-giving it's unconditional love it's a love that, that finds its motivating power not in the loved but the lover it's not the kind of love that you can fall into or fall out of all right, it's, it's not something that happens to you. It's something that you make happen. It's a decision. The other two loves are because of kind of loves. They say, I love you because you're attractive or because you make me laugh or, or, or because of how I feel when I'm with you. But, but agape is an even though kind of love. Right? It says, I love you even though you hurt me. I love you even though I'm not attracted to you right now. I, I love you even though... I don't like how you make me feel when I'm around you right now. It's the ultimate and unconditional, sacrificial love, and its source comes from God. It's like the Energizer Rabbit. It's just a love that just keeps on going and going and going and going, even when your spouse is not particularly lovable, which is every day in my case. It's a love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, in that verse where it says... uh, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And always perseveres. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for love. Thank you for your love, Lord. So without your love, Lord God, nothing in our lives is possible. Those of us who who 
those in our lives that we know that have never encountered your love. Lord God, I, you know, I just I, sometimes I wonder how they go and how they make it through the day. Because it's, it's by the power of your love, your unconditional love, that give me the power to move on, to move through the day. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for who you are. And God, I just pray today that, uh, that marriages get re-sparked, that we see through this study that, uh, that we, we, we can't just continuously ignore or take for granted our spouses, but we have to intentionally make an effort to make our marriages as good as they were in the beginning. So, Lord, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' holy name. Amen. There's a story I heard a while back, years ago, before society got so sensitive, there was a boy who, who constantly got into trouble. He was always breaking the rules at home. His father uh, struggled to understand why. He was a good dad. He provided for his son in, in, in every way. He had a good home. Um, he gave his son everything that he wanted. He, uh, he intentionally showed him that unconditional love. But the father just couldn't figure out why his son just wouldn't behave. He just always got in trouble at home and in school. He, you know, the father raised the boy in church. He had him in Sunday school. He was reading the Bible to him every day. He prayed with his son every day, but the son's behavior was just a mystery to him. He couldn't figure it out. And so one day the son was upstairs playing with a baseball, and he knew that he shouldn't be playing with a the baseball. They'd already been down that road before. And what happened next was he ended up breaking one of his bedroom windows. And so... He knew better, so the father headed upstairs, took off his belt, and the son knew what was coming. He knew what was fixing to happen, so he voluntarily bent over and kneeled down next to his bed. But here's what the father did. He said, son, take the belt. Take the belt, which the son did. When the father took off his shirt, he kneeled down on the bed, and he said, I want you to give me seven lashes with this belt across my back. Well, the boy started to cry. He didn't understand and he said he wasn't going to do it. He said he couldn't do it. But the father kept insisting, and finally the boy relented, and he started hitting his father across the back with the belt. But it wasn't hard enough for that. He said, harder, son, harder. And so when the boy had finally hit him across the back seven times, he looked up, the father looked up, and he said, do you know why I had you to do this? And he said, no. He said, when Jesus went to the cross for us, he took the worst punishment that's ever been inflicted on any man. He was pummeled, he was beaten, his beard was plucked out. He was punished like no human being has ever been punished. And who do you really think did this to Jesus? The boy still crying, hesitated, and he finally said that he thought it was the Jews or the Romans. But the boy's father looked at him and said, no, it was God the Father who punished Jesus for everything that we've done wrong or will ever do wrong in our future. He took the punishment that he didn't deserve to save those who didn't deserve saving. That's how much the Father and Jesus loved us. It was God's display, or God's love displayed for us who actually deserved his wrath. So the boy was shaken up, and he was really deeply shaken up. From that day forward, he never really seemed to get into very much trouble. I mean, he still got in trouble. He wasn't perfect after that, and neither are we once we're saved. But that still doesn't take away the accomplishment at the cross. See, as sinners, we're all sinners. 
all of us, by birth and by choice. We're just like the sun, causing trouble everywhere we go. Because that's all we know. We don't know any different. Until we're born again, there's no hope for us to be reconciled or pleasing to the Father. But God knew that. He knew it. And so He sent His Son to take on our guilt and the weight of His wrath that was due to us. Jesus took that on Himself so we might be declared innocent. He came, He lived, He died, He was buried, and then three days later, God raised Him from the grave. And to you today, those of you here who don't know God's love, He says, because you've heard that, because you've heard His gospel, you're commanded to repent and to believe. Commanded to turn from your sin, to have a complete change of mind about sin, and agree with God by confessing that you are indeed a sinner. And Jesus is exactly who God says He is. So repent and believe in the one that was sent to die for you. Church, today is the day of salvation. As we begin this time of invitation, you've got an opportunity now to respond. If you've never done it in your life, you have the opportunity to come make known the work of the Holy Spirit that's done in your heart today. If the Holy Spirit has regenerated you this morning, you feel a little bit different after the hearing of the gospel, you've got an opportunity to respond now. Just so simply we can all rejoice together. If you've been visiting with us and um, and you maybe you feeling like uh, the Lord's calling you to Crossway, you and your family to Crossway, you can respond now. If you want to respond for membership, or maybe you're saved but you've never responded for belief, or you never uh, uh, followed through with believers' baptism. You've got that opportunity to make that appointment today. But, but how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I'll ask you now for that this invitation to respond this morning. Psalm 69:30. I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. This is Life Song Radio. Like seek ye first, what a verse. We are pressed 
but not crushed, perplexed, but don't despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are no longer slaves, we are daughters and sons. And when we are weak, we are very strong.
living day by day. You barely had the strength to pray in the valley low. And how hard your fight has been, how deep the pain within. Wounds that no one else has seen, hurts too much to show. And all the doubt you're standing in between. Shrink when you find the one who knows. The chains of 